In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajah. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us once again in our series, Life, the Islamic Answer. You will remember that we had started to go through the most important ingredients, the most noteworthy ingredients mentioned in Islamic, in the Islamic tradition or in Islamic narrations that have to do with effective learning, being an effective learner in Islam. And we said this topic goes hand in hand with another one that we will also uh, discuss and explore right after this one uh, and it's a little bit more if you would go back into the books the, the, the books of akhlaq, the books of adab uh, many of these are not mentioned in this way these, the ones that we're going through are often scattered in various books and mostly in, in compilations of ahadith um, they're not uh, there's no dedicated sources for them for a lot of, uh, a lot of the subtopics we're talking about the next topic, uh, however, it has dedicated volumes to it, very well-known volumes, so we'll mention that when we get there, some of the, the bigger ones, uh, at least so that we're aware of them, uh, and we'll see how they're, they're put together and what they cover, inshallah, when we start talking about the manners of the learner, of the teacher, and of learning in general. But for the time being, we said there is everything else that is not necessarily covered in those books, and we're calling it the ingredients of effective learning and so i thought i'd go very quickly over a few of them uh, kind of as a reminder and to make sure that um, you know we have a few other hadith we're always uh, picking and choosing the hadith for each one of these each one of these could become its own lecture or even series of lectures in some cases we're going quickly uh, over them so we began with the importance of dedication and we said that uh, our religion gives a lot of importance to knowledge and not to take it lightly. It is something that if you want to acquire it, then you have to be serious about it. You have to dedicate yourself to it. And we saw a number of hadith related to this. One of them, for instance, was the one from Al-Khidr when he's giving his pieces of advice to Prophet Musa السلام, and in which he said, Ya Musa, tafarrag lil-ilm in kunta turidu fa'innam al-ilmu liman yuh. So, O Musa, dedicate yourself for knowledge if you truly want it. For knowledge belongs to those who dedicate themselves to it. And this is a hadith that uh, we quickly uh, went through. But uh, the idea here is that these accumulate over each other to give us the full picture at the end. So the idea is, and there's a reason why we're going through them, inshallah, by the end of the session today, we put it all together you'll see that there's a focus and there's an importance on not being scattered, on focusing our energy. So if you are at a point in your life where seeking knowledge is a priority for you, then this has to be something you prioritize and you focus on. And you cannot be scattered while you're seeking the knowledge and in your time management in general. And this is something that perhaps has given, been given too much credit and too much value and too much merit 
where you have people who kind of praise their ability or the ability of some people to multitask, right? So this is definitely not a good thing. Multitasking is not a good thing, okay? There is no better way to reduce the quality of what you're doing than to multitask. To be fully dedicated and fully focused on what you're doing is how you're going to uh, basically be the most effective and the most efficient. You're going to spend less time on it because you're focused on it and you will complete it with much higher quality because you're not distracted, you're not scattered. Your energy is focused, your mind is focused on one thing. And so that's one way to understand seeking knowledge as well. And we're going to see some ways in which you may be distracted without thinking about it. We're going to see a couple of examples of them today. Um, but what is the context? What is the environment in which you're seeking the knowledge? Is it an environment where you can really fully uh, take knowledge seriously, dedicate yourself to it? And we mentioned writing, for instance, in the last time we spoke. And that's a difference. Two people may be uh, listening to a lecture or attending a class or so on and so forth. The difference is going to be how focused one of them is over another that will make all the difference at the end, right? So in any case, this is certainly something that we find in our religion too, your ability to focus on what you're doing. So the only thing that you never want to neglect is never forget God in your equation, that God is present. What is your intention behind doing this? But when you're doing the, whatever it is that you're doing, enjoy what you're doing, do it properly, do it perfectly, and don't be uh, multitasking so that you're doing two or three or four things at the same time, and then your your mind and your energy is scattered all over the place. Okay? So we have this hadith from Imam al-Sajjad salam, and we're going to come back to these hadith a little bit later uh, in the series, but this is one of them. Imam Sajjad says, ilm. So he's saying that knowledge has a right over you. Okay? It has a right over the seeker of knowledge. He says, ilm and the Imam is saying the right of knowledge over you is that you empty your heart for it. And then, so that you make your mind present. That's two. Three, and that you prepare your, hear, your hearing, your ability to listen. And this is something we're going to get back to later. Okay? And that you sharpen. The Imam says, تشتحذة. This is the word that we use for metal when you want to sharpen metal. Okay? The Imam says, you sharpen your wit or you sharpen your intelligence for it. Prepare yourself mentally uh, and uh, at the level of your intelligence, your wit. And then the Imam he is going to say two things here that I would say, this is the how. He said the what. Now he's going to say how. He said, الشهوات, So that, how do you do that? By veiling, by hiding pleasures and by rejecting desires. Those are the things that may distract. The imam says you keep those away from yourself or you keep yourself away from those things so that what? So that you can actually focus on knowledge. Otherwise, you're distracted. Otherwise, you're scattered. Okay? And of course, here, this hadith has a link with time management. You have to think properly. If something is important in your day, you have to think properly about when do I put it. And that's why we saw the hadith that spoke, for instance, about early in the day, for instance. You know yourself. You know when you're on, when your mind is 
able to take in new information, for instance. Don't put your knowledge seeking, for instance, at the end of the day when you know that you're exhausted and you can't really focus on anything and uh, you're just basically entertaining yourself with bits and pieces of you know facts and trivia. This is not knowledge seeking. Okay, This knowledge is not going to remain there and it won't be part of you. Okay, for instance, so ta- uh, the link with time management is very clear there. When the Imam says, you know, you dedicate yourself, you prepare yourself, your intelligence, your time, your listening, all of that has to be uh, in place. Your ability to focus, and we just spoke about that. And then the Imam, of course, the, the first thing that may come to mind is for sure we stay away from sins, right? Because we said the, the, the objective, the aim from all of this is that we are becoming better people. So it cannot go hand in hand with sinning. If you're still sinning and you're trying to seek knowledge, those two things don't go together. So of course when the Imam says, بِسَتْرِ اللَّذَّاتِ وَرَفْضِ الشَّهَوَاتِ The Imam is saying this has to be part of the equation. And of course, inshallah, we're going to come back to this more. I'm not focusing on this dimension of the hadith and all of these hadith for now. I'm just focusing on the practical aspect of them. But there's certainly a very spiritual aspect to this too that you want the knowledge to come in and that you want your heart to open up to this type of information that it affects you in the proper way, hence the title of our whole section of our series, Transformational, then you have to stay away from sins. And so the Imam here says, You you block off, you hide, you dissimulate uh, anything and everything that may fall in the category of pleasures and desires. Okay? If, of course, the first thing that comes to mind here is sins. But it's not limited to sins. This is someone, when the Imam says, The Imam is saying, you are the one who's veiling. You're the one who's hiding away those things. You're the one who's rejecting those things. You have access to them. They're very accessible to you. And you are making a conscious choice to stay away, to remove yourself or block those things uh, away. Right? So here is where the the discussion once we are done with the idea that for sure the sins have to be taken away of, out of the equation there's also distractions in general the excessive access to to comforts pleasures to food to how you sleep how you eat how you prepare your your environment your workspace and so on and so forth alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah okay and as we said inshallah there's a dimension here that has to do with spirituality the spirituality of knowledge seeking we'll come back to that uh, later inshallah we mentioned the the other ingredient we spoke about i won't spend any more time on it deeper understanding so that when we're seeking knowledge we're not so focused on just uh, understanding uh, superficially and moving on to the next basically teaching point or learning point that we try to get to the bottom of the knowledge that we're acquiring to see what does it really mean what else can we understand from it how does it apply to us is there a critical dimension to this should we be criticizing any of this should we just be taking it in as is or should we apply some critical thinking to it and so on and so forth we talked about another ingredient the serious study if you want to seek knowledge, we saw the hadith that say that it has to be consistent, that you have to do uh, constant reminders or reviews of it, that you have to be in circles where this is discussed back and forth between people. We saw the hadith that have to do with that. We spoke about the importance of the direct apprenticeship, okay, so that you have access to someone and that someone, inshallah, we're going to come back to this topic 
in much more detail when we're going to talk about the teacher section, because now we're focused on the learner section. Once we get to the teacher section, we'll dedicate a bit of time to this too. But the idea was that we want to make sure that we have access to someone at any stage that you're in. You want to have access to people who will inspire you, people whom you you respect their intelligence, you respect their knowledge, and to certain extent, and this is perhaps even more important than the knowledge part, as important as it is, people that will inspire you spiritually and morally. These people are supposed to personify the knowledge that you're acquiring, so that knowledge does not stay at the level of theory and a data dump and just information, that it becomes represented in a human being this is what knowledge looks like when a human being conducts themselves in the way that is compatible and aligned with this knowledge okay so inshallah we'll come back to to that later we spoke i think at length about this topic of being accepting of the truth being seekers you truly seek out the truth wherever you can find it and that you accept it from wherever it may come and from whomever it may come because that's what you're focused your focus is your focus is on reaching the truth reaching the wisdom reaching the good whatever is beneficial to you and you are more worthy of it and you are more entitled to it if you are a true believer you should view it that way you should think about it that way that it's as though this this truth this wisdom has a right over you. You should be the first one to go after it. You should be the one who takes care of it, to carry it, to personify it in yourself. Okay, so I think we spoke about um, all of this. And of course, we the caveat here, the comment that we made is that we also want to make sure that we understand, and we're going to come back to this uh, for sure when, when we talk about the importance of the teacher and who we, do we let influence us when it comes to knowledge that we have to be aware that the moment you open your mind and you start listening to someone especially nowadays where because of social media because of the way our cultures are set up that there are these gurus and they're extremely influential and then without you even realizing it you start adopting their worldview you start taking on a lot of their thinking a lot of their values a lot of their uh, the good the bad and the ugly everything comes together and so we have to be very aware of what we're doing and always be equipped with what we need to be able to assess to filter to Uh, seek out what is good and leave out what we don't need and what we don't consider to be beneficial and useful for us. So inshallah, all of this was clear. And we said to us, this should begin always. In general, this should be the case for every good Muslim. But for us specifically, as followers of Ahlul Bayt, this should be kind of our foremost and by default position is that before we seek out the truth and the knowledge that everyone may carry out in the world we want to make sure to at least know and have some overview some idea of what Ahlul Bayt have said about something before I jump to the gurus and the people who are the experts and people who have opinions nowadays about any given topic okay so inshallah all of that is uh, clear as well we spoke about the importance of humility modesty not falling in the trap of arrogance when we, once we start carrying the knowledge, and that this goes both ways, for the person seeking the knowledge and for the person dispensing and giving the knowledge, that this has to be the main trait, the main foundation upon which knowledge is taking place, whether it's being shared or being received. 
right? On both sides, we saw the ahadith that say, لا تكونوا علماء جبارين. Don't be tyrannical scholars. Don't be people who will let your amount of knowledge get to you. Then your wrongs are going to go away with your rights or with whatever good that you're doing, right? If knowledge is not changing you internally to make you more modest, it's, making, it's only making you more arrogant. It's filling your ego and, and uh, uh, blowing up your ego. That's not knowledge. This is not the transformational knowledge we're talking about. Okay? So I think this point is important and clear, and we're going to come back to it uh, as well, that spiritual component of uh, knowledge seeking. The importance of asking, and we have a few more hadith that we can go through, uh, with the importance of asking. So, of course, this goes hand in hand with the idea that when we're seeking knowledge, you have to, if you are actually able to overcome your ego, to overcome the arrogance, and be in a true position of someone who is open to learning, then this comes with humility, this comes with modesty. And, of course, the door that opens all of that externally is asking. You seek the knowledge by asking. Ask questions about the things that you do not know. Because if you stay closed off, the, the knowledge is not going to come on its own to you. This is the idea that you take the initiative to go and seek the knowledge, to express your willingness to go and learn something. You have to do that. You have to go out of your way to ask. And we went through the ahadith and we said this becomes the first step, even highlighted in the ahadith, this becomes the first step to create a community of knowledge. Because someone, someone in the community asked the question, you eventually get a community of people learning and benefiting from that knowledge. But if no one takes that first initiative, and of course that person gets more merit and more value for being the one who initiates to force that door open, to be the one who goes and seeks and asks and questions, this is when the knowledge starts to come, otherwise it won't come on its own. Once that happens, then you see in the people rewarded after that person asks, the Holy Prophet said, once the person asks, there are four who are getting rewarded, as you will remember. The person asking, the person answering, the person listening to them, and anyone who loves them, who loves these people because they're sitting together and sharing knowledge for the sake of knowledge. If this is what you love in those people, then you are part of that community, whether you're there physically or not, in that same time or not, right? You are now part of a community. And so we saw this notion of asking is very present and very important in effective knowledge seeking in our religion. And uh, it's linked to a whole number of uh, other points. Uh, some of them we spoke about. Uh, otherwise, we'll, uh, other ones we'll talk about more. One of them, for instance, from Imam Ali alayhi uh, salam, this one we didn't cover. He said, Man sa'ala fi sigharih, ajaba fi kibarih. The person who you know, takes the initiative to ask questions in their youth, in their childhood, or in their uh, young age, is going to be the person who's going to be answering in their older age. Okay? So this is very important. You see the progression, you see the evolution that this starts, the younger it starts, the better, and this is a good trait to have. So this is something we need to teach our children too. To, it's okay to ask and learn how to ask, and we're going to see that asking is a whole art. Inshallah, we're going to talk about it uh, in the future as well. In, in another uh, hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, Al-qulubu aqfal mafatihuha as-su'al. Hearts are locks or like locks. And their keys are questions. The question is the key that opens the lock of the heart. And so for sure this is going to 
apply because we're talking about knowledge. This certainly applies to knowledge. The way to get to the knowledge that is contained in the heart of the scholar is to ask the question, right? But this is going much further than just knowledge. When the imam says basically anything that is contained in the heart is locked behind that heart. There's no way to get to it unless you know how to ask and what to ask in order to open it up. Okay, so there's a psychological dimension to this for sure. We're going to come back to it a lot more when we talk about uh, this dynamic in a community of the learner and the teacher and the community in general. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. But again, just with this and the formulation that the imam uses here, there is certainly a, a hint or, or a pointing to questions being an art so that you are able to reach what is in the heart of a human being. You're unlocking their heart through a question. So, of course, this cannot be done just in any way, shape, or form. This has to be done in a certain way so that you actually access what you're trying to access in that heart or get that person to do what you need them to do, and so on and so forth. Okay? There's a hadith from Imam al-Sadiq to one of the one of the most well-known companions of Imam Sadiq alayhi salam, uh, Humran ibn A'yan, uh, he tells him, إِنَّمَا يَهْلُكُ nas لِأَنَّهُمْ لَا يَسْأَلُونَ If people perish, it is because they do not ask. And of course, there are other reasons, but one of the main reasons is because people are remaining in a state of ignorance, because they don't take that initiative to ask or to seek knowledge to express their will, their intent, their desire to go and seek knowledge, to acquire the knowledge, right? And here, like people may fall into all sorts of different categories. There are people who simply don't care, and that's awful. You know that you don't know, but you don't care. So you do not go out of your, for whatever reason, because you undervalue knowledge, because you have too much arrogance to say that I don't know, whatever it is, you you know that you don't know and you still don't care enough to ask. Okay, so that's one category of people. Another category of people is the ones who think they know. You have a little bit of knowledge, some knowledge perhaps about something and you think that this is sufficient and so therefore, you know, I already know everything that I need to know about something. And this, of course, brings us to perhaps one of the most dangerous types of ignorance, which is what they call the complex or the double ignorance, where, where you don't even know that you don't know. You don't even know that something exists to know how much you don't know about it. Okay? This is when you don't know that you don't know. Okay? So this is another group, another category of people. And then, of course, there are those who pretend to know. You can kind of talk the talk. You can fake it. You can show that, you know, you, you know enough and... That can have a whole domino effect of dangers for yourself and for others too. Those who pretend to know. Okay? These are all different categories. All of these people should be in a state of asking, in a state of seeking knowledge. And this is why the Imam says, if people have perished, it is because they do not ask. This is one example. There are many hadith from Ahl al-Bayt about this. We spoke about patience perseverance we spoke about we spoke about uh, flattery and envy uh, we said that you know the imams say these are two traits that are bad and undesirable unless they are to seek knowledge then you know if you have to compliment and you have to praise to give excessive praise in order to receive that knowledge then so be it do it and if you see that people have knowledge that you don't have it's okay to be envious but in the positive sense you are envious in the sense that 
You should be wondering and asking yourself and holding yourself to a higher standard. Why is it that they have that knowledge and I don't? In that sense of envy, so that it's a noble competition as opposed to I wish and hope that this person, uh, the, the knowledge of that person is removed from them and given to me, which is the, the forbidden type of hasad, the for, forbidden type of jealousy and envy. Okay, um, we spoke about writing, and there are a few more hadith that we can mention definitely about writing, but the importance of writing for a number of reasons. We have uh, some of them here, so I wanted to highlight those other reasons except the obvious. So the obvious, inshallah, is clear that once we write, this is the way you anchor down knowledge, qayyidul ilm, right? The way you, you anchor it down, you attach it, you make it firm and solid is by writing it. Okay, and you will remember the story of Hilal who came to the Holy Prophet who told him, I heard you basically sharing wisdom and knowledge with the other companions, will you tell it to me? And the Holy Prophet told him, well, do you have something to write with? He said, no, he told him, go get it and then I'll tell you, I'll share it with you. And then he told him, those are the people who will be receiving all the good and will be recognized for their merit and their worth in the afterlife, right? Those are the people who carry their writing tools, the writing instruments all the time with them. Okay, so the association with writing. We have a hadith from Imam al-Hasan alayhi salam. So these are not refresher, they're new hadith from Imam al-Hasan alayhi salam. In um, one of them he says, uh, so Imam al-Hassan called his children and the children of his brother Okay, and so we can assume perhaps that it is Imam al-Hassan But it could be any of the other brothers He had many brothers And so he told them So he basically gathered his children and the children of his brother or brother's siblings And he told them إِنَّكُمْ صِغَارُ قَوْمٍ وَيُوشَكُ أَمْ تَكُونُوا كِبَارٍ كبار قوم آخرين فتعلموا العلم فمن لم يستطع منكم أن يحفظه فليكتب وليضعه في بيته So Imam Hassan alayhi salam gathers all these children, all the youth in the family and he tells them you are the youngsters of the people and about to become and you are about to become the elders of another. You're growing and before you know it you are going to be the elders of another people, of another community. And there will be other ones who will be the youngsters, but you will be the elders. So what? So what does that mean? So the imam tells them, so acquire knowledge. That's the one piece of advice. Therefore, if you understand the cycle of life and where you are today and where you're headed, then therefore acquire knowledge. And whoever cannot learn it, so he's telling these children, if you cannot be of those who can memorize and learn, so when the imam says, فَمَنْ مِنْكُمْ أَنْ يَحْفَظَهُ if you are unable to learn it in the sense of memorizing it, okay, you can't really carry it, then let him write it and keep it in his house. Okay, if you are not of those who can actually learn it and memorize, then at least write it down and keep it close to you in your house. And so like, there's a whole number of points that we can extract, lessons and principles that we can extract from this incident or from this hadith from Imam al-Hassan alayhi salam. The first clearly is the importance of knowledge, period, right? That the imam tells them, you, you know, you are the youth today and tomorrow you, you are the elders. Therefore, seek knowledge. He doesn't talk about anything else. Therefore, seek knowledge. If you understand this, if you understand, you know, your place in society, your place in the world, you as a human being and how you're moving in time, then therefore seek knowledge, one. Two, in order to preserve that knowledge for yourself, you must write it down. That's two. Three, 
there is here a push, it seems to me, and we, it will be a lot clearer in the hadith of Imam Sadiq This is not only important for you, and this is a point that we highlighted previously, that the writing that you're doing may be very beneficial to you because this is what anchors down the knowledge for you. Just the process of writing it and your ability to read and refer to what you wrote previously, of course, is going to help you anchor down that knowledge. But it's also going to be the knowledge that you pass down to future generations. And perhaps this is what the Imam is highlighting, identifying, pointing to. That he's telling them, you are going to be the elders of another people. And this is the cycle of life. You have these generations that come one after the other. So what preserves that knowledge from one community to another and from one generation to another? It's writing. If you are able to write it down, if you are able to document it, you are able to pass it down to future generations. And we've talked a little bit about this in the past and we'll talk perhaps again to it in the future. When people study history, they say, they're, what's the biggest distinction? Why do they call a portion of human history, they call it history, and another one they call it prehistory. Prehistoric times and historic. What's the difference? The difference is that there was writing, there's a written record, or there is no written record. The moment you have a written record, you are in a different category of a civilization. You can no longer be looked at in the same way as a civilization that was not writing. Sometimes you hear that, you know, this was more of an oral tradition. It has huge benefits, oral traditions. But in, from other aspects, it has huge disadvantages, huge gaps and huge lacks. Because you're unable to actually go back and see what was said and who said it. What did they know? What did they not know? When did it happen? All of that is now up for grabs. When things are down, written down, black on white, all of that is open to interpretation. So imagine when you don't even have any written record. And so those who often say, I often hear people talking about Islam and they say Islam is mainly an oral tradition. Well, these are the hadith of Ahlul Bayt Was it meant to be an oral tradition? No, perhaps there are things that happened that made it artificially an oral tradition when it was not supposed to be. It was not meant to be. Perhaps writing was forbidden. Perhaps those who wrote had their books lost. Uh, confiscated, uh, destroyed, and you have to go through back in history and see what actually happened. But is Islam meant to be an oral tradition? Not really, if you go back to the narrations of Ahl al-Bayt and even the Holy Prophet, who's basically saying, carry your writing tool with you everywhere you go and write down every good piece of knowledge and wisdom and good judgment that you hear. Write it down. Don't let it evaporate. Don't let it run loose. This is how you do taqeed. This is how you anchor it down. This is how you make it firm. It's not an oral tradition. In addition to the writing, of course, you're supposed to memorize, you're supposed to learn. Good. But it starts with writing. Okay? So, and to me, this is maybe another point here that we can add. The imam tells him, I think he makes a point to say, وَلْيَضَعْهُ فِي بَيْتِهِ so you write down the knowledge. If you are not one of those who can actually learn it and memorize it, then write it down and keep it in your house. Keep it in your homes so that you have a physical trace of the knowledge. And so, you know, fast forward to today's world, I would translate this, I will dare translate this as 
we're supposed to have some sort of a, at least a small modest library in our homes so that visually you can actually see that there is a place in your house dedicated to knowledge. It's an incentive. It's an encouragement. Just seeing that might encourage you to open a book and look into it from time to time. It's a visual stimulation that knowledge is important and that you are dedicating time, you're dedicating space, you're dedicating effort and money, putting it together, and that there is something important in your life, in your family's life, in your household called knowledge. It has a physical presence. It's not just a value in theory. And this is perhaps, in a lot of cases, more and more difficult in today's paperless world where there is nothing that has a physical imprint. Okay? Or we're moving in that direction at least, in any case. So I think the imam is making a point there, and that's important too. And we'll see that in other ahadith. To me, that's kind of like... I don't know, you could say that there are centers, well-known people, that you can always easily access the knowledge. How, what's, how is that different than, for instance, someone who decides the gym is available and it's not so expensive, but you decide to have gym equipment in your home, own home because it's important, because you want to be able to access it as soon as you want to, perhaps without the hassle of going outside because of, you know, for those who work out, for instance, whatever it may be. If something is important to you, you're going to make it available. And anyone who looks at your life will see indications of that. Okay. Another hadith from Imam al-Sadiq salam, he says, Uktubu fa'innakum la hatta taktubu. Write or write down for you will not learn or you will not memorize until you write. Okay, that's a very clear order or instruction from Imam Sadiq And you can imagine, perhaps other Imams were not in the context, were not in the environment of Imam Sadiq and Imam al-Baqir, who actually sat and taught in a teaching context. Right? So with the others, someone might say, you know, it's general advice and so on and so forth. In the case of Imam Sadiq, we can assume this is in the setting of a teaching environment where you have a teacher and you have students and you have a, a content that is formally now called knowledge that is being taught. So when the imam says that, this is what should come to mind. Basically, the imam says, if you're sitting in my circle, you're writing down. This cannot just you know, go into the ether and disappear forever. It needs to be written down, like I'm saying it, in the same manner. And that's a whole topic too, on the criteria that Ahlul Bayt would give to make sure that their knowledge is written down. And then how to recognize that this is their knowledge or not. That these are their sayings or not. And they would give criteria to people. Even when it's written down, it's not enough. They would say, for instance, use Arabic grammar. Right? Right? Use Arab, use your knowledge, your expertise of Arabic to see whether this is our speech. For we are eloquent people. We don't make mistakes when we talk. If there's a mistake, this is not us. We did not say this. But I have to have expertise in Arabic to understand, does this word fit here? Would an imam say this? Okay, so they give these criteria to their people, to their companions, to their students, but the beginning step of it is always write it down. Right? And here the imam is very clear. He's, he's giving an order. Uktubu فَإِنَّكُمْ لَا تَحْفَظُونَ حَتَّى Okay, so that's one hadith. Another hadith from Imam Sadiq alayhi salam, he says, The heart relies on what is written, on writing. 
Okay, that's the second hadith. A third hadith from Imam Sadiq salam. So there's a whole discussion about this person, Al Mufaddal ibn Umar, but generally speaking, he is someone who is attributed to being uh, one of the companions of Imam Sadiq salam. There's a whole book, he would go to the Imam, talk to him, and we today have uh, Tawheed al Mufaddal and, and other uh, hadith from Al Mufaddal. So this hadith from Imam Sadiq salam, he tells Al Mufaddal ibn Umar, he tells him, Uktub wa butha ilmaka fi ikhwanik. فإن مت فإن مت فأورث كتبك بنيك فإنه يأتي على الناس زمان هرج لا يأنسون فيه إلا بكتبهم. So Imam Sadiq salam tells one of his companions, write and spread your knowledge. So what's the first step? Write and then once it's it's written, spread your knowledge to your brethren, your brothers and sisters in faith. And when you die, the Imam tells him. So he's not telling him just write it so that you learn it. And once it's learned, you can throw it out, for instance. Someone might think that's the situation. It's only for you so that you learn it. If I, I'm someone who has a very strong memory, if I'm someone who wants um, I learn something, I am sure of myself that for the next 50 or 70 years, this will never go away. Okay, but what about the next point that the Imam makes? And that's what I'm trying to highlight in the other ahadith. The imam says, and when you die, leave your books to your children. Uh, so we have to preserve what is written. And we have to pass it on to the next generation. For there will come a time of chaos for the people, wherein they will find no rest, they will find no peace, except in their books. Would you not say that we are kind of living in such conditions today? If we have any access to true knowledge, what does it look like? That true knowledge to us looks like narrations from Ahlul Bayt. Everything else is open for grabs. Right? You have the Holy Quran and you have narrations. You don't have access to the Imam. The best you have today is the books which contain the narrations. That's your access. So when the Imam says there will cut there will come a time of chaos, why is there chaos? Because you have no certainty. You have no firm ground to stand on to know this is the truth. And no one to tell you that this is the truth. No infallible that you have access to. So what do you have access to? How is that truth preserved? How is that confidence preserved over time from generation to generation, from community to community? It's preserved. It is knowledge. It is belief. It is faith. But it's preserved in the form of Books. And that's the importance of books, and that's the importance of writing. You write what you hear, you write what you learn, you, you become really good at writing it, and you pass it on to next generation so that you keep that alive. Right? This is the importance of writing. And the imams were very aware of it. And they were teaching their companions to make sure that their books are preserved in this way. And the imam is talking about the future, and he's telling him, there will come a time of chaos. Zamanu harajin, haraj. Things will be all over the place. Instability, chaos. So what will be the source that everyone can actually turn to? What is the only source that the imam mentions? He says, لا يأنسون فيه إلا بكتبهم. The only way for you to reach some uns, something familiar, something where you can find peace, tranquility, your heart can rest, can find some rest there, is going to be in the books. So the Imam says, preserve your books.
preserve your knowledge that is contained in the books. And that's why, you know, people who really understand this, you start understanding how sacred books are, especially the books that contain knowledge that we believe is coming to us from Ahlul Bayt, alayhim as-salam. The efforts that went into putting that together and preserving it over time. And the more you study that and the, its history, the more you see how much was lost and how little was preserved, right? So it becomes even more precious because of that. So any case... And so this becomes more and more important as we go further and further away from the time of revelation and the time of the imams. You know, 500 years is a lot easier than 1,000, and 1,000 is a lot easier than two, and so on and so forth. Okay, and this one, very clear again from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, this hadith in which he says, The imam says, preserve, protect, or preserve your books, for you will need them. Okay, so when the imam, he says that you, you will need them, he's certainly not talking about the people in his time. Okay, so this applies to us too. We must find ways to preserve these books, to comment on them, to teach them, to learn them, and to pass on that knowledge to the next generations. There's a duty here. This is your imam talking to you. He is saying, preserve your books, for you will need them. So who is you? That's my question here. The key in this hadith to me is you. You will need them. So we believe that it's the community, the community that the imam is talking to, that exists today, that will exist in the future, that has passed down this knowledge to us until today so that we're reading these ahadith right now. Time management. So we started a couple of times, we, we talked a little bit about this, uh, and we went through the hadith last time, the, the, the hadith from the Holy Prophet in which he said, the Holy Prophet said, Rise early, start early in your days, in seeking knowledge, for I have asked my Lord to bless those who start early in seeking knowledge. And we talked about all of the benefits, the importance of how much time you gain by starting earlier in the day, the discipline that you need to actually be able to follow through with that type of time management day in and day out, to start early, to build your schedule, your daily schedule around the prayer times and so on and so forth. And and there's another hadith, perhaps very similar wording, but a little bit different, a little bit clearer, I think, when the Holy Prophet said, The Holy Prophet says, you know, again, start or rise early in seeking knowledge, for you know, starting early or uh, rising early is a blessing and a success. It's as though the Holy Prophet is saying that, first of all, this activity of yours is going to be blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and everything that that means in terms of what blessing means. And inshallah, in the, in the series, we're going to talk about blessings at the end. And the second point is the Holy Prophet saying, and success. You will be more successful in your endeavor and what you're aiming to do in your objective, in this case of seeking knowledge, by doing it earlier in the day. Okay, so the Holy Prophet is mentioning two things that should be very important to us. So this had to do with time management and when do we do that in the day. The next point has to do with eating and seeking knowledge. Okay, so a first hadith, there's a couple of hadith here, I thought I'd, I'd say them together. They're similar for a part of them, and they're slightly different for the rest. Um, 
these hadith, of course, they have to do with eating less because that's the point that we're trying to highlight. But this is not standing in isolation of everything that we've already covered. And there's a reason why I put them in these order, all of them, right? So this one, to me, also is linked to time management, okay? When do you eat? How much do you eat? When are you seeking knowledge? And what's the relationship between these? When are these happening in your timetable, in your schedule in the day? So the first hadith... Uh, slightly shorter uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inna Allah subhanahu wada'a khamsatan fi khamsa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed five things in five things five and five he has placed five and five al-izza fil-ta'ah wal-dhilla wal-dhulla fil-ma'asiyah wal-hikmata fi khulu al-batn wal-haybata fi salat al-layl wal-ghina fil-qana'ah so the first hadith, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed five things in five. The first thing, he has placed might or dignity. He has placed might in obedience. So you want might, you want power, you want dignity in this world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it's through obeying me, through my obedience. Two, degradation, misery in disobedience, in sinning. Okay, and these each one of them would require a lengthy discussion on how sinning, on how disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a degradation in the very literal literal sense, right? That you are degrading yourself. In any case, the third one, and the most important one for us in this hadith, Walhikmata fi khulwil batn. And he has placed wisdom in or on or in an empty stomach. Okay, that's the hadith. That's the link with food. Okay, knowledge and lack of food, not more food. Okay, we're going to come back to it to comment on it. The next point, You want reverence, honor, respect in this world. It's achieved through Salat al-Layl, through the night, the nafila of the night, Salat al-Layl, the midnight prayer. And wealth, True wealth is in satisfaction, in being content, in being happy with what you have. That's wealth, as opposed to acquiring more. Okay, The more you acquire, if that's why you're doing it, because you always want more, you're not really rina. You're not really sufficient, right? Self-sufficient. That's the real meaning of rina. The other hadith, in the same line from the Holy Prophet, he says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلْ يَقُولُ so the Holy Prophet says that God Almighty says, وَضَعْتُ خَمْسَةً فِي خَمْسَةً I have placed five things in five. وَالنَّاسُ يَطْلُبُونَهَا فِي خَمْسَةٍ فَلَا يَجِدُونَهَا And people seek out those five things elsewhere in five other things and they never reach them and they never find them. وَضَعْتُ الْعِلْمَ فِي الْجُوعِ وَالْجُهْدِ or وَالْجَهْدِ وَالنَّاسُ يَطْلُبُونَهُ بِالشُّبْعَةِ وَالرَّاحَةِ فَلَا يَجِدُونَ so the first one, I skipped the first one. No, that's the first one. The first one is I have placed knowledge in hunger and exhaustion. That's where I have placed, that's where I have hidden, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. Where I have hidden, in the first hadith it was wisdom, in this hadith it's knowledge. I have placed knowledge in hunger and exhaustion and people seek it with full stomachs and comfort. So they do not find it. Okay, that's the, po- the, the point 
or the reason why we're mentioning the hadith. The next parts, وَوَضَعْتُ الْغِنَى فِي الْقَنَاعَةِ So, and I have placed wealth in the feeling of satisfaction. The, fee, the When you feel content with what you have, okay, and people seek it by accumulating more possessions, so they do not find it. وَوَضَعْتُ الْعِزَّ فِي خِدْمَتِي وَالنَّاسُ يَطْلُبُونَهُ فِي خِدْمَةِ السُّلْطَانِ فَلَا يَجِدُونَهُ And I have placed might in my servitude, in serving me. And people seek it by serving the rulers or those who are powerful, so they do not find it. وَوَضَعْتُ الْفَخْرَ فِي التَّقْوَى وَالنَّاسُ يَطْلُبُونَهُ بِالْأَنْسَابِ فَلَا يَجِدُونَهُ And I have placed pride or honor in God-fearing, in taqwa. And people seek it through their ancestry. I am the son of so-and-so, and the family of so-and-so, and the tribe of so-and-so, or the race of so-and-so, and they do not find it. And I have placed serenity, peace, rest, calm, in paradise. And people seek it in this world, so they do not find it. Okay, so two kind of similar ahadith here that definitely have to do with uh, each other. I think one of the important conclusions from these ahadith is the idea of comforts. Here, we're not saying do not have any comforts. Deprive yourself of everything and live in misery and you're not allowed to have any comforts in life, any pleasures, and definitely not. And inshallah, we'll talk about a lot of that uh, as a theme in the future. Okay? The idea is how much importance are you giving to these pleasures, these desires, and these comforts in your life? And we're not, definitely, we're not talking about sins here. We're talking about things that are uh, allowed, they're permissible, they're accessible to you. Still, there is a link here, there is a point being made here that if you want something as important as knowledge and wisdom, then you have to know that it's associated with other things. For instance, an empty stomach. Good, hard things in life, they come through hard work and through sacrifice. They don't come through comfort. And this is something that the world is realizing. And more and more as you know, human history moves on, you see a lot of mentions of that. How hungry you have to feel, literally and metaphorically, in order to achieve great results. The majority of those who achieve the greater results in any field, they were hungry. There is something in their past, in their environment, in their background that creates a fire inside them that keeps them moving. It doesn't come from just comforts. When everything is comfortable, when there's nothing that pushes, you have no real reason and incentive to move in a certain direction or to move more than others, right? At best, you may be average, unless there's something exceptional, and then usually that's happening at a psychological level. Okay? So that's the first point. And so to the extent that those things, those comforts cannot become, and you saw the first hadith of Imam al-Sajjad we began with, they can't become the distractions. If you have a focus, if you have an aim, if you have an objective, that has to be your priority. If you start introducing other elements, those other elements should be enablers. I don't eat for the sake of eating. 
I don't sleep for the sake of sleeping. I don't entertain myself for the sake of entertaining myself. Those things have to become enablers for a higher cause. In this case, knowledge seeking, but this could apply to anything that's important. I eat in order to achieve that cause. I sleep in order to achieve that cause. Whatever I do, I entertain myself and I relax and I calm down and I chill at the end of the day. That's fine. That's part of achieving that cause. I need that. That's part of the equation. Right? So, so long as that thing in itself does not become a distraction from the main cause, from the main objective, the main focus that you're supposed to have. So, if you start noticing that because of food and because of your eating habits, you cannot achieve the level of wisdom and knowledge that you're seeking, then that has certainly become a distraction. This is one of the things that Imam Sajjad was saying. You reject those things that are shahawat, the Imam says. Right? You push them away. Don't let them distract you. You're not focused anymore. And this is well known. People who have spent a long time studying, you'll see that suddenly put yourself, you know, imagine yourself the night of the exam. When you know that in the morning, for instance, the next day you have an exam. Will you not try to avoid all distractions? Will you create an environment that is super comfortable for you? No. You're going to create an environment that is minimalist, where only the things that you really need are there, and the rest is to focus on the main task at hand. Right? If that's what you understand what you have, and the best way to get there. You have a little bit of time left, you want to cram, you want to study, and you have an exam coming up. Okay, so do you eat? You probably will eat. But will you eat to the point of feeling so heavy that you now have to go sleep? Probably not. Okay, people who are in a state of learning and knowledge-seeking, they probably are like that their whole lives. You are like that for the night of the exam. You feel that you're working against the clock. Your time is limited. Your opportunity is limited. There is so much knowledge to achieve. You create conditions for yourself where the comforts are not distractions. They're enablers. There are people who when they study, for instance, or when they work, or when they read, or when they write, I know people who they would create an environment that was cold, especially in the winter. Open the windows. Because if it's too warm, you fall asleep. Go back in history and you read about people like Ibn Sina and others who would work throughout the day. They didn't have the luxury to write, to read and write and study and think throughout the day. So they worked all day. And they did their knowledge work, their reading and their writing and their teaching and their learning. They did it at night, all night. So a lot of them, Ibn Sina for sure, if you go back, he would create juices, fruit juices, and that was his field of specialty. He was, a, he was a medical doctor. He would create juices that would keep him up all night so that he can focus on his knowledge seeking and on writing. He doesn't drink or eat things that are going to put him asleep. That's the reason I'm eating and I'm drinking, so that I, I'm stronger and better able to achieve the result I'm trying to achieve. Okay? And, of course, as we said, there's a direct link here with what Imam Sajjad was mentioning at the beginning. He's saying, basically, knowledge has a right over you. If you want to achieve that, then you have to do it through certain things, including, and the how was, بِسَتْرِ الْلَذَّاتِ وَرَفْضِ الْشَهَوَاتِ 
So you put a barrier in front of the things that are a ladha, a pleasure, and that you reject shahwat, the desires, you reject them. Okay, so food definitely can fall into this category. And then hunger itself is mentioned here and in many other narrations, and that's a link with Shahar Ramadan and elsewhere, that there's a wisdom that comes from it. This empty stomach and this feeling of lightness that comes with it. And people who fast and who are accustomed to fasting know this. After the initial two, three days of headaches, because you're changing your lifestyle and your daily schedule and eating at different times, if you're study, a student, you know that you're able to concentrate a lot more during that day because you're not eating. You can focus a lot more. That empty stomach allows you to study better, to reach that higher wisdom that the hadith are talking about. So there's definitely a link there, even in the physical, literal sense. The next hadith or series of hadith, and we don't really have time, we should stop here, has to do with اغتنام الفرصة so seizing the opportunity of youth the first hadith from the holy prophet he says مثل الذي يتعلم العلم في صغره كالنقش على الحجر ومثل الذي يتعلم العلم في كبره كالذي يكتب على الماء the one who learns knowledge and this hadith is said in a number of different formulations but this one I found to be a little bit more reliable so I'm, I'm repeating this one the one who learns knowledge at a young age in their youth is like carving on stone never goes away and the one who learns knowledge at an old age is like writing on water so it goes the same second that it's written and there are a lot of hadith as we said that fall in this general uh, pattern and a lot can be said here first of all and the hadith are clear in this one too and people should know this anyone who has tried to memorize and learn things you have a much greater ability to memorize things when you're younger and that's why you can learn new, new languages you can be exposed to all sorts of things if you learn them in your youth they come in like a sponge you capture them and they stay there for much longer than if you learn them later Okay, so you have a greater ability to learn. Okay, we're not talking about every type of learning because there are types of learning that require a different type of maturity to fully digest. Okay, but if it's raw information itself, you are going to, alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah, you're going to learn it better, you can memorize better if you are able to learn it at a younger age. One. Two, you have time to go much deeper. Every, there is no knowledge that is one-layered. There, are, there is an infinite amount of knowledge in any topic. So, of course, if you're exposed to that knowledge earlier in your life, we're not saying that you necessarily will go deeper in that knowledge, but you certainly have a lot more opportunity if you learn something at 10 than if you learn it when you're 30. You have a lot more years that you can keep drilling and deepening that knowledge than if you learn it when you're older. Okay? As you grow older, of course, your responsibilities grow too. You're probably going to have work, a career, you're going to have family, you're going to have social responsibilities, community responsibilities, and so on and so forth. All of that becomes distractions, and they take away your ability to focus, they take away your ability to uh, uh, dedicate your time, and more importantly, your, ener your energy to all of that. Okay, All of that is going to become distractions from seeking knowledge. All of this is not to say, however, that it's an excuse. There is a focus 
We're supposed to encourage and push people in our communities to learn knowledge as soon as possible in their lives. But this does not mean that if you didn't learn your knowledge earlier in life, that it means it's too late. There is no too late in our religion. You start when you can and you continue from that point onward. It doesn't stop and there is no too late. There is no age limit. And we don't have time to go through the hadith related to this. We're going to stop here at this hadith. But inshallah, next time we meet, we're going to see how the hadith are going to give the, uh, the on the other hand. So what if someone did not start early enough? Does that mean that everything crumbles and stops? No. So, And this is something that we see. Unfortunately, I'm going to say, in a lot of our communities, we only focus on one side. When there is knowledge-seeking happening in most of our communities... By default, the way it's presented is this is for the children and this is for the youth. As though knowledge is for the youth and for the children. Knowledge is not for children. Learning the Quran is not for children. Learning the seerah of Ahlul Bayt and the Holy Prophet is not for children. Akhlaq is not for children. Aqa'id is not for children. Tariq is not for children. There is nothing in our religion that is for children. Everything is meant to be for the adults. Of course, it's much better for the person to learn it. The younger you learn it, the better. You will never learn it fully if you're too young. Because this is genuine Islamic knowledge. You can specialize your whole life on one of these topics and you dedicate your whole life and it will not be enough. Whether it's the Holy Quran or Tariq or Aqaid or Akhlaq or any of these fields. To constantly present them as these are for the youth and for children is a huge mistake. And in fact... It shows something else, and there's a cycle that happens. When we keep focusing that this is all for children or for the youth, the problem that happens in the community is that there's not much happening for the adults. I would argue that in a lot of cases, we would not need all of these programs for the youth and for children if we had enough programs for the adults. The children, when they open their eyes, how they learn their religion is not by attending you know, a lecture or an activity 45 minutes a week. This is not where religion is learned, values are learned, the worldview. This is not where it's learned. The place this is learned is at home. When the youth, when the child opens their eyes and starts being exposed to the world and they see how the adults behave. What are their values? How do they conduct themselves? What do they know? How can they answer my questions convincingly or not? If you're going to wait for that teaching and raising to happen 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour a week, then I think you can give up right now. It's the adults in their lives that will show them whether they know it or not. The child is a sponge learning from all of this, what the worldview is, what the world looks like, what are the values, what are the beliefs, what are the... The, the things that they're supposed to believe in and the, the way they're supposed to conduct themselves in the world. Okay, so this idea that knowledge is for the children, knowledge is for the youth, is very mistaken and it creates a vicious cycle in the community. And we would have a virtuous cycle in the other way if we actually had more programs dedicated to the adults or a normal member of the community, regardless of their age. Because what we should be focused on is your level of knowledge, not where you are in age, in years on this planet. Right? And we're going to see that very clearly in the ahadith. We're going to come back to that, inshallah, in the uh, next narrations we'll cover next time. So it's almost prayer time in a couple of minutes. So let's stop here. 
And inshallah, next time we meet, we'll finish the ingredients for effective learning in Islam. And then we'll, we can start perhaps with the topic of the manners of the learner in Islam.